would ask you to open your Bibles this morning to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, as we continue uh, to work our way through this gospel. This morning, we're going to pick up where we left off two weeks ago. Uh, but to make sure that it wasn't a microwave dinner, who likes a microwave dinner? So leftovers, right? And so I had to rework this because I didn't want to serve what I had prepared two weeks ago. I wanted something fresh. And so we'll see how that works out for us this morning. Uh, but we are going to be covering verses 16 through 24, not in depth, but just going to walk through this text in more of a way of introduction of it also so that you can do some future study in it. Uh, but John chapter 14, verses 16 to 24, the promise of the Spirit. I've titled this, The Promise of the Spirit. Starting at verse 16, God's inerrant inspired word reads, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper, that He may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because the world does not see Him or know Him. But you know Him, because He abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me. But you will see me, because I live you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in, in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world. And Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. Father, I ask a blessing upon the reading of your word, and now as we spend a few moments here this morning looking at the promise of the Holy Spirit that you promised to send when you leave. And we thank you for pouring your Spirit out upon the earth. And now, Father, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you illuminate this text for us? Not only that we can understand it, uh, but we know how to apply it also. And so, Father, we ask a blessing upon the reading of your word here this morning. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. The promise of the Spirit. Two Sundays ago, our focus was on the doctrine of the Trinity, or the great mystery as I called it, and the importance of understanding the Holy Spirit, not as a power, but as a person, a member of the Trinity. When we only think of the Holy Spirit as a divine genie in the bottle, we are left with our imagination. And when we are left with our imagination, we can end up at some crazy destinations. Destinations that are unrecognizable or, or undefinable by the biblical text and therefore foreign to anything that resembles historic Christianity. So as we work our way through here this, this text here this morning, we will focus upon the giving of the Holy Spirit, the abiding of the Holy Spirit, the promise of Jesus not leaving us as orphans, and then also we will see that the world does not recognize the Holy Spirit. 
And Jesus says there is a specific day that the Holy Spirit will be given. And then finally, proof of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, we're not going to um, spend a lot of time on each one of these points, and we're just going to work our way through this. Uh, but that's kind of the, the agenda. That's kind of where we're headed this morning. And of course, we'll start with verse 16, where the text for us starts this morning, and that is the promise of the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Holy Spirit. Jesus starts with saying, I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper. Now the first thing that we must understand is Jesus isn't asking the Father in a way of, of, of uh, we may ask the Father or that we may ask something of someone else. Jesus is asking, it's indicative, it's just a statement that is being made. And Jesus says, I will ask the Father for another helper. I will ask the Father for another helper, he says here in verse 16, and it will be given to you. It will be given to you. Now, this should also remind us just for a moment as we think back to what we've covered before in John chapter 14, verse 13, where we were told that if we ask anything of the Father, he will do it and he will give it to us. He will give it to us. But there's a bit of a difference there. Uh, and Jesus asks something of the Father. He's not asking in such a way that He doesn't know what the perfect will of the Father is. When you and I ask the Father of something, we and I ask Jesus of something, of course we make our requests made known to Him, right? And He who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and will also give us those things that will benefit us and bring Him glory. But we don't know the perfect will of the Father. We don't know the perfect direction the Father would have us go for our life. And so at times we hear people will say, and maybe you yourself has been there, I have been there, whereas God's just not answered my prayers. No, what I'm saying is God hasn't answered the prayers the way that I wanted God to answer the prayers, right? And I get that, I understand that, but we must be reminded that unlike Jesus, we don't know God's perfect will. God knows our perfect will for our life. And so when we ask the Father for something, He will indeed give us what we ask according to His perfect will. But when Jesus asks, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper, it's just a statement of saying, I already know. I already know what the Father is going to do. I already know the Father will give you another helper. Another doesn't, ind doesn't, doesn't indicate someone... <clears throat> Uh, someone like, or indicate someone like myself, someone who in my place, what we shouldn't think of is that Jesus is saying that this helper, sometimes maybe your text says, uh, if you have the ESV, it would also say helper, I believe. Some of your other texts might say uh, 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 advocate, or some of your other texts might say comforter, which the old King James would say comforter, because in, in, in Latin, comforter was certainly something quite a bit different than the way we think of comforter today. A comforter in that time was, was very much an advocate, very much uh, someone who will come alongside, very much uh, an advocate in, in a court of law, if you will, somebody who was there on your behalf. But, but comforter today, we think of it a bit differently. And Jesus and the Holy Spirit, I mean, obviously, they certainly bring comfort to our life, Right? But that's not necessarily what Jesus is speaking of, of, of here in our text this morning. And, and helper is really the word, someone who comes alongside and is there, there. So if Jesus is a person, the Holy Spirit is a, is a person. And part of the reason I spent so much time two weeks ago on, on, on nailing down this idea uh, that you already knew, but I just wanted to re-solidify it in your minds, the importance of the Trinity. 
Because too many times we removed the Holy Spirit and we set up the Holy Spirit as a power only instead of a member of the Trinity. And if we don't rightly understand that the Holy Spirit is a person, just like Jesus and just like the Father, the Holy Spirit will be nothing but that divine genie in in, in the bottle. So we we must understand that, and hopefully you got that the last time. And so the Holy Spirit is not merely a power, but a person like the Father and a person like the Son. The next thing that Jesus says here in verse 16, he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. He will give you that third person of the Trinity, that he may be with you forever. And Jesus is transitioning here now in a sense, because again, in the context, we we must understand that as Jesus is going to leave, and as Jesus is going to be leaving his disciples, they're thinking, you're deserting me, you're leaving me. And Jesus says, no, there's going to be a replacement, and this replacement is going to be with you forever. And so, helper, we must understand again that it's not a substitute, it's not subordinate to Jesus, but it is a, another, another person that will never leave, that will be, remain and be with you forever. In fact, I'd like to quote to you here this morning from Gerhardy Voss and from his um, uh, Reformed Dogmatics, and he has this to say. He says, the Spirit as Comforter abides with believers forever. He is at the same time a seal and a pledge of future benefits of salvation, and an earnest, the first fruits to which the full harvest will follow. It would therefore involve a dishonor for the Holy Spirit as well as for Christ if He had to withdraw from, from His temple and to abandon what, had one, what he had once taken possession of, to a renewed pollution of sin. Therefore, not only final and also temporal and total apostasy is impossible. Now, what's, he, what's this old uh, Dutch Reformed guy saying? What he's saying is exactly what Jesus is saying here, that this Holy Spirit will be with you and be with us forever. This Holy Spirit will not be leaving us as Jesus here is saying has happened there with them. That's not going to be the case. Now, what am I trying to say here? Because I know this can be touchy. Um, But this is what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches those who are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, those who have the Holy Spirit within them, that Holy Spirit will not ever, never, ever be removed from them. From them. This is what the Bible teaches. First, we must know that. The second thing we must know is this. How much more comfort? How much more comfort can that be for us as believers, right? Right? Those who wander through this life to the imperfect follower of Jesus, you and me. How much more comfort than the truth that the Holy Spirit remains forever, sealed for all eternity. Now, I don't know about you, but I have my problems. And you know what a lot of those problems are. But as we wander through this life, And as we attempt to do life together, and as we attempt to do a life faithful to Christ, I get it wrong more times than not. I can't imagine what it would be like to live under that idea that as soon as I mess up a little bit, the Spirit leaves. 
What, what kind of comfort is that? What kind of helper is that? What kind of advocate is that? Hmm? I cannot see more comfort than this idea of what Jesus says to his disciples here as he's ready to depart. They don't even know what's coming yet. And he says, I'm going to send a helper who will never, ever leave. Right? It's Ephesians 1.13, right? You are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit here, according to, the, according to Jesus' own words, will remain, will remain forever. And so look at verse 17. The Holy Spirit abides with, within the, the followers of Jesus. And Jesus goes on and He defines who this Helper is. We've already established that, but He says this is the Spirit of truth. So Jesus continues, says, look, this Helper that I'm going to send is the Spirit of truth. Elsewhere, He also talked about that, and we'll get into this more next week. But He says in a couple verses later, He says that the Spirit of truth will testify about Me, Jesus says. A little bit later yet, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will guide you, be, be your guide, and there will be four others that we'll cover next week of how the Holy Spirit leads and guides in the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. In John chapter 8, verse 32, Jesus already had talked about what is to come here when He said that you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. You will know the truth and the truth will make you free. That is what Jesus is now revealing here to His believers. And in verse 17, He, saw, he continues and He says that the, the world cannot receive. Why? Because it does not see or recognize Him. The world cannot receive, but you will. Why? Because you know Him, and because He will come and abide with you and will be in you. Well, who is, who's the world? Right? I mean, it's cosmos. Who, who's the world? It's just, obviously, the world is also the, the physical, materialistic world. But the world, when, when we're speaking of here, is the unbelievers, right? Those who, who are not followers of Christ. Those who, who deny Christ. Those who, 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 who do not view and see and acknowledge and recognize Jesus. That's who the world is. That's who those who deny that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by denying, they will not have eternal life in His, in His name. The world is anything that doesn't belong to Christ that's with odds with Christ. And here in, Ephes or in 1 Corinthians, um, just to drill down a little deeper on this, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, where Paul is here is writing to the church at Corinth, and he says that, that but a natural man, right? Those who are in the flesh, those who, who by nature are children of wrath, we could add that in there. A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Why? For their foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised or spiritually examined. They can't even understand because the Spirit of the living God doesn't live within them, right? And so the natural man, these things are foolishness to him. And if there's ever a time where we see that more and more foolish, we see it now, right? And we see it in a time where, where people think that anything about a Christian faith is foolishness, right? People think that anything about what the Bible actually teaches is foolishness, right? And if there's every time where it seems like the Spirit is void on the earth, it is now. Right? That's what Jesus is saying here. But you, he says, but you will know because the Spirit abides with you and will be, speaking of a future tense, he will be in you, in you, in you. 
to what he's saying. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. And again, I, I, I may add um, a footnote here. You know, <clears throat> there's some who would teach that, that you can be a Christian and not have the Holy Spirit within you. There's some who teach, oh, yeah, but you can be a Christian, but that doesn't mean you have the Holy Spirit in you. That's heresy. That's not what the Bible teaches. I'll just give you one as a way of footnote. I got, I'm going to put that aside, but I'm just going to give you one here this morning. And it is Romans 8 and 9, and it'll establish it well enough for, for our purpose here. In Romans 8 and 9, it says that you are in the flesh. You are of the world. That's what he says that some of those that, that are, but he says, but, but you, that's not, that's not you, Paul says, but you are in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells within you, he says. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of God, he does not belong to him. He does not belong to Christ. So the idea of belonging to Christ without the Spirit of God within you, that's foreign to the biblical text. That, that, that's why I spent all the time I did two weeks ago to establish this idea of the Trinity, that the Trinity is the Father, the Son, and, and, and the Spirit, three in one, three persons. The Spirit is so much more than, than power. And here we see that uh, the Spirit works in our lives differently, and sometimes we can be confused by that. But to, for, for a Christian to be void of the Spirit, that would make you a non-Christian a non-Christian. And that's what Jesus is, is saying right here. But you will know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. Speaking of, of Pentecost that is to come. But verse 18, Jesus says, I won't abandon you. I won't leave you as orphans. I, I will come to you. I, will, I, I won't leave you that way. You know, um, uh, we have many, and some here have, have adoptions within their family. We have many within our family. My mom herself came from an orphanage. And, uh, you know, as you think about those who came out of an orphanage, those who, who were adopted, there, there's, other, there's, there's abandonment that comes with that. No matter how loving in the support the family structure is there, there's still this idea of why was I, why was I abandoned, right? And um, uh, that, that's a very real thing for those who, who have been adopted into another family. And, and it's as though Jesus is knowing what they're thinking. Jesus is sensing that, that they're going to feel abandonment. And Jesus uses this word orphan here, I think, on purpose. Uh, because I'm sure back in the day, there must have been many street kids during his time. These orphans running everywhere. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I'm not going to leave you that way. I'm not going to leave you that way. And sometimes we may feel that way. Sometimes we may feel that, that God, you have, you have completely abandoned my life. You have completely, you're, you're like void. How many of you at times have thought, God, why do I even pray? It's like there's no way my prayer is making it through the ceiling, as we hear people say. Well, I sometimes say there's no way my prayer is being leaving the skull of my brain. I feel that disconnected at times. And there's those times of abandonment that, that these words of Jesus can take so much importance. In fact, Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, touches upon this when he says in the 13th chapter, I will never desert you. 
nor will I forsake you. He's quoting the Old Testament that we call the Old Testament. He's quoting the Old Testament from Deuteronomy as, as Moses is going to be leaving, maybe the 35th, 36th verse or chapter or something in Deuteronomy, as Moses is going to be leaving. <clears throat> and as he tells the people, and he prepares Joshua to take the baton, and, and he tells the people that, look, 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 look. God has told me, Yahweh has talked, and Yahweh has spoken to me because at this time the Holy Spirit was only given to certain people, right, in the Old Testament, right? And so God has told me that he will not forsake you. He, he will not leave you. And then the first chapter of Joshua, one of the first few verses, Joshua tells the people the same thing. Yahweh, your God, he will never desert us. He will never lead us. He will lead and guide us. You see, in the Old Testament, God gave the people a Moses. God gave the people a Joshua. God gave people such as that. And here Jesus is transitioning, right? And he's going to say, no, I'm going to be leaving, but I'm not going to abandon you in that same note of the Old Testament leaders, in that same voice, in that same tone. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to bring somebody else, another helper. That's what he's saying here, there. And this is the story of the faith chapter of Hebrews 11, right? As you read through the faith chapter, that's so meaningful to, to so many. And all those who have gone before, and they look at the story of their life, and from what is observable to us, God has never left them. God hasn't left them to flounder around. God hasn't left them forsaken. God hasn't left them as orphans. How much more security do we have? knowing that God is, Jesus is leaving, but he's sending us the Holy Spirit. And I would also maybe um, remind you also of, of that person within your life, as Don had mentioned, spoken of his grandma so much here this morning. You know, that person in your life that you can look at their life and you can reflect upon their life, the highs and the lows. What was it about them that has, that has helped them carry, carry on? And the encouragement that can be there, and is this right here, Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you. I will come to you. I will come again. But the world doesn't recognize in verse 19. And after a little while, the world will no longer see me because he's going to be physically removed from the earth. But he says, but, but, but you will see me because I will come again. I will abide within you, speaking of the Holy Spirit that is to come. When the world physically did see Jesus, they still didn't accept him. They still didn't recognize him. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You will also live. How quickly it can be. How quickly we can lose sight of Jesus. How often do you hear a testimony of someone who says and talks about their faith, talks about how they, they came to faith in Christ through a youth event, through a youth conference, through a Christian music ministry. And then I've read it, I've heard it so often. I can tell it for you. I often want to say, Sal, I'll tell it for you, right? And then after you went off in life, you started life. You went off to college. You started a career. You started a family. You drifted away from God. You walked away from God. And then at a particular point in their life, they say that they came back to Christ. And it's often at one of those crisis events within their life that they actually turn back. But the question I would want to raise is had they actually fully surrendered their life to Christ? Or was it just something to check off their list, right? And that's what I would ask you this morning. Here Jesus says, I was physically there with you this morning. I was physically there with you. And when I was there, you didn't see me. 
Hey, you didn't even recognize me. You know, how, how many of us, maybe, how many of us have maybe checked that off our list? But have we really? Have we really fully and totally surrendered our life to Christ or is it something we just do because we were brought up in a Christian family, because we were brought up in a Christian church, because we went to a Christian school, because we went to some youth conference or some Christian music festival, and we had some emotional experience that was never real. Jesus says, no, no, that that won't happen. (laughs) I'll leave that question to be answered by God as far as we don't see the heart. But it is a question we need to be careful with and how we answer. But I can tell you this. That a life that is sold out for Christ is a life that will never lose sight of Christ. And let me say that again. A life that is sold out for Christ is a life that will never lose sight of Christ. That's what Jesus is saying here in verse 19. The world, they don't see me. They don't know. I was with them. They came around. But it wasn't there. It wasn't real. But you in the second half of 19, he says, but you, because I live, you will also live. He says, because I live, you will also, also live. That's what he told his disciples in John chapter 6, verse 57. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me. Talk about offensive. He who eats me, he also will live because of me. A life that is sold out for Christ will not lose sight of Christ no matter what curveball life throws at you or them. Verse 20, he says, In that day, in that day, speaking of Pentecost, speaking of the time where the the Spirit will be poured out upon the earth, that's what he's referencing here. It's Pentecost that is to come after the resurrection and the glorification of Jesus. In John chapter 16, verse 7, he said, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. Jesus could only be at one place at one time. He was under the limitations of the earth. Right? So He could only be at one place at one time. He said, when I go, the Holy Spirit will be within you, will be there with you. And Pentecost, as we see in that day, it was a once and done event. Just as in the creation, just as in the, in the, in the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus was a one-time event, just as a, the incarnation of Jesus was a one-time event. Pentecost was a one-time event when that day that the Holy Spirit was poured out upon, upon the earth, upon the church, never to happen in that way uh, again, right? But yet, but yet there's, you know, for, 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 for believers, and as those who come to Christ, it's at that time that the Holy Spirit is given. But it's at that time what Jesus is speaking about right here is in that day when that Holy Spirit is given and the disciples were up in that upper room, right? And as Jesus left and the Holy Spirit came, the Helper, the Advocate, was poured out on the earth, that's still available to each one of us. But if we're looking for an event like Pentecost, we won't find it. We won't see it. It's a one-time event. And he leaves us here with verse 21 and 24, and he says, listen, you want to know who's the true believer? You know, sometimes we have these, um, sometimes different people want to put a definition upon what a true believer is and um, put that aside for the moment. But in our text, it tells us what a true believer is. What does it say? The indwelling of the 
Holy Spirit is evident in your life because it's He who keeps my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And He who loves me will be loved by my, my Father. In verse 24, He says it in the negative. He said, if He who does not love me does not, not keep my words. That's, that's, that's the evidence of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. Of course, we can look at a life and see somebody who has, who has lived a life that we, we see would follow the commands and the laws of Christ, and yet we see as they go through life that it seems as though they've walked away from life, they've left life. We, we see these public figures, it seems like almost anymore on a weekly basis, somebody falls from grace. So work certainly doesn't uh, uh, guarantee the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but those without work certainly don't have it. That's what Jesus says. So as you think about, about yourself, as you reflect upon your own life and upon the, the work of the Spirit within it, the evidence is there, is it not? Those who love God's Word, those who keep His commandments, those are the ones. Not because that's what actually saves us. No, it's not that. It's a result of it. It's a result of it, right? So that's the promise of the Holy Spirit. We'll continue that next week there and get into more of the ministry of the Holy Spirit Spirit next week. But I hope this morning you can help to build upon what we started two weeks ago, and that is the idea of the Trinity. The Trinity is a, it's, there's three persons, right? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And here we see as Jesus left, He gave the Holy Spirit to us as that person, as that manifestation, and then we'll see the ministry of the Holy Spirit next week. Father, I thank You. I thank you for pouring your spirit out upon the earth. And Father, at times as we go through life, may I, may I, Father, would you allow me to add the word, uh, the mundaneness of life. Father, there's times where um, I long for a little excitement. There's times where, Father, there's times where I, uh, I feel somewhat disconnected. And Father, as I read your word, as I read your text, and your spirit illuminates it for me, the encouragement it brings to me, knowing that you have left us everything we need here in this book we call the Bible to live a faithful life to you. But Father, living according to the commands of it doesn't save anyone. The only thing that saves a soul is a soul that is sold out and totally, fully, and wholly surrendered to you. So I pray, Lord, it's only you that can search and see the heart, but I pray, Lord, that each soul and heart here this morning, Father, would be wholly, totally, completely, fully given to you. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.